0: Chapter 7 of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, a Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter 7 The Rose of Lebanon. What thinkest thou, my Lord? hath become of the strange rabbi from jerusalem who tarried with us for a space the moon hath waxed and waned six nay seven times since he departed into the wilderness alone as she spoke the wife of ananias was busily pulling the buds and young leaves from the blossoming rose sprays which swung from the wall above her head these she gathered into the skirt of her robe And settled herself upon the marble bench at her husband's side, began to plait them into a wreath. Ananias looked up thoughtfully from the scroll of the prophecies which he was studying. Thou art speaking of the man Saul of Tarsus, he said after a pause. I have thought of him often of late. He spoke of returning to Damascus. I have feared lest some evil fate hath overtaken him in the wilderness. Yet he is in the Lord's hands. And the Lord hath work for him to do even as it was revealed to me he will surely perform it he may have gone to Jerusalem said the woman whose name was Myra eyeing her garland with a pleased smile look my Lord is this not beautiful I will crown thee with it when it is finished Ananias frowned nay beloved he said laying his hand upon hers The weaving of garlands is a pastime of the heathen women all about us. Thou art a mother in Israel, and shouldest train thy hands to soberer tasks. Myra burst into a ringing laugh. Is not this a sober task? she cried. See, I have pricked my thumb. As for the heathen women, as thou callest them, they are far more beautiful and pleasant than the Jewish women. "'What knowest thou of the godless abandoned creatures?' demanded Ananias, with some sternness. "'They are not fit. Nay, do not wear that frowning brow, my lord,' interrupted Myra, dropping her unfinished garland. "'I but spoke kindly to our neighbor across the roofs. She is fair to look upon, and sweet-voiced as any thrush.' A fair face and lying lips, with a heart full of all iniquity and uncleanness, broke in Ananias harshly. "'Listen!' "'Thou shalt not again speak to the woman. "'She is an accursed Gentile. "'Hear and understand, for in mine own house I will be obeyed.' "'Thou art unkind. "'Thou dost not love me,' cried Myra, her voice shaking with sudden passion. "'Have I not ever given thee my obedience? "'But if thou lovest me not, I will return to the house of my fathers. "'I have said it.' "'Ananias looked up in sorrow.' and amazed at the beautiful angry face before him surely his rose of Lebanon was set about with sharp thorns after a long silence he spoke slowly and with frequent pauses this is no need life of mind that I again say to thee I love thee thou knowest that I love thee love thee as a pearl of great price as a star set in the blackness of my sorrow as a spotless flower that blooms in innocence and grace could i bear to lose my pearl could i see my star quenched in eternal night could i see god help me my flower crushed in the mire of the streets thou art but a child and knowest not what damascus is i tell thee it is more wicked than sodom which the lord destroyed with fire from on high it is abominable with the abominations of the pit. What canst thou know of the shameless worship of Baal and Ashtoreth, of their temples reeking with blood and lust? Couldst thou know, beloved, surely thou wouldest be content with the women of thine own nation. Nay, thou wouldest rejoice because God hath chosen to number thee with Israel, even though Israel be oppressed and afflicted. Myra dropped her eyes to the ground. Her lips trembled. "'But the woman is a Greek,' she murmured, plucking ruthlessly at the half-finished garland. "'Surely the Greeks—' "'The Greeks are not better than the Syrians,' said Ananias, his brow darkening. "'They are all alike, idolaters, hateful unto God, and accursed. "'Speak no further of the matter. "'Thou wilt obey me.' And with this he returned to the study of the prophecies— albeit sadly disquieted in mind. Turning to the books of the kings, he read concerning the ancient warfare of his people against the Syrians, and again in the prophet Isaiah, how that the Lord had spoken against Damascus, and his heart burned within him. Surely, he said aloud, The Lord Jehovah hath given the sign, even as it is written. Behold, a virgin shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Surely the end is nigh at hand. The Gentiles shall stumble and fall, their cities shall be made desolate, and the temples wherein they defile the land shall become as heaps. Emmanuel hath visited his people. Let Israel rise up and call him blessed. The scroll fell from the reader's hands. The memory of that awful death on Calvary flashed before him, a picture of unutterable woe and ruin. He groaned aloud, slain, slain, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of Israel, slain by the Israel he came to save. Myra had stolen away to her chamber, her heart still sore and defiant. Truth to tell, the mountain maid had received little training to fit her for the grave responsibilities of a Jewish matron. Nurtured amid the wild fatnesses of Lebanon, she had been as free and almost as wild as the birds that flitted among the branches. The sudden transition from the careless, out-of-door life of a mountain peasant to the grave decorous household of Ananias had proved more trying to the 17-year-old Myra than she had ever owned even to herself she was certainly very very happy she assured herself was it not a wonderful thing for a man so great so wise so beautiful as was her husband to single out from among all women a humble maid of the mountains like herself and if that were not almost beyond belief there was the little jesse a small sweet copy of his father to be loved and played with through the long hours there was the garden also, and the house to be looked to. Assuredly there was nothing more to ask of the good God; her cup ran quite over, and if occasionally she longed to see more of the great city in which she lived, strange fascinating glimpses of which she caught in her jealously guarded walks to and from worship, she kept it to herself, or confided it to the safe keeping of her two year old son. The grave Jewish matrons, whom she met in the synagogue and even visited at discreet intervals, wearied her with their perpetual talk of religious rites and household economies, though occasionally they indulged in solemn gossip concerning the Gentile women. With bated breath they told how the Syrian wives deceived their husbands and beat and neglected their children. "'of the shameless and open way in which the Greek and Roman ladies went about in public "'without even so much as a veil over their painted and perfumed faces, "'with darker whispers of the mysterious and dreadful worship going on night and day "'in the gorgeous temples and groves of the heathen gods. "'To all these things Myra listened with large grave eyes. "'It was all very strange,' she thought.' but not more strange than the story of jesus of nazareth which she had first heard from her husband's lips she had accepted it without question or comment because he had told her that it was true obediently adding to her morning and evening prayer a petition to the ascended one indeed there were many strange things which were also true things her thoughts wandered to the terrible saul of tarsus struck blind in an instant by a fiery vision and healed by the hand of her husband. Because of this, she had looked with awe and curiosity at the man during the days of his sojourn at their house. He was sad and silent, she decided, as well as dark and ugly to look upon, with never a smile for the little one, nor a word of praise for her excellent housewifery. She was heartily glad when he had departed. I hope that he will not come back, Pearl of Sons," she whispered in the rosy ear of the little Jesse. "'Thy father hath no eyes for us when he is here. ho, little one! The heathen are merry folk, merry merry folk. They laugh and feast, they wear gay robes and jewels, and if they weave garlands of roses no one chides them, for they may fetch them to their temples for offerings. Our God looketh not upon rose garlands he is too great and wise too terrible also and our synagogue it is not beautiful is it tell not thy father littlest but i should like to be a gentile just for a little while a day a week would not thou son then could we see the strange temples all rose color and scarlet and blue with pillars of marble set with gold and jewels as beautiful as heaven what harm could it be nay thou art frowning at thy mother thou art a man an israelite go thou to the good rebecca she may sing to thee a psalm the foolish little mother sprang up and surveyed herself in the quiet pool of the fountain dimpled cheeks flushed with the color of a ripe pomegranate long lustrous eyes veiled with curling dark lashes and shaded by heavy masses of blue black hair A flash of white teeth through scarlet lips. Such was the picture that smiled back at her from the cool depths. "'Hi-ho!' she sighed. "'I can never be a Gentile. Never. I am far too dark.' Then she fell to thinking of the forbidden neighbor, of her pink cheeks and golden hair, of the melting eyes the color of hyacinths, which had looked so innocently into hers. "'She is not wicked,' she murmured defiantly.' I know that she is not, and how can I hate anything so beautiful? She asked me to come to her house to-day, and promised to show me her jewels and dresses, pink and blue, ah, and silver tissue. If only I might see them! Why did I speak of her at all? My husband would not have known. Nay, I will go if only to tell her that I may not tarry, tis but courtesy. Afterward, I will obey. End of chapter seven. Recording by Scarlett, Louisiana.